Hello, welcome to Loving Colour. I'm Tanaka, I'm black. I'm Imogen, I'm white. We're friends, and we're here to share our experiences with whiteness, anti-blackness, and racial discomfort. In each episode, we'll tackle a different aspect of racism, both enacting it and being impacted by it. We've chosen to do this by doing what we do best, telling stories. This is what it looks like when justice starts at home. So, welcome Dion. Thank you so much for coming to speak to us. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Um, First of all, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Any of those things? Um, Okay, so my name is Dion Lakey. I am in Milton Keynes. I'm from Zimbabwe originally, born and grew up there. Came here um, as an adult and uh, mixed race Zimbabwean, we call ourselves coloured, um, which I am very much standing by these days, having not said that word many times for offending everybody else, but that's how I identify. Um, and uh, my interests are in books, children's books and liter- literacy. So um, I'm a bookseller, um, independent bookseller. Um, but um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. Great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It's so nice to have you. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. So we're going to get started with our quickfire questions, which are not that quickfire, which is, I think, <laughs> what we're going to name it from now on. Um, Dion, are you ready? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first one's the most obvious uh, and interesting thing. What are you reading right now? Oh gosh, okay, now that isn't an easy question because I, I read like three books a day, three books a week. <laughs> so I'm reading How to Be an Anti-Racist because that's our book club um, book that Imogen and I are, are reading at the moment. Yeah. I'm also reading a, um, a couple of children's books. I'm reading um, One Sky Day, I think it is as well. Oh, what else am I reading? Because there's just so many. That just, I literally got some books in the post. Um, <laughs> Oh, I just finished reading Oh, The Firekeeper's Daughter. Oh my God, so, so good. Um, by Angeline Bouley, um, a Native American author. That's the favourite one I've just finished reading. Um, so that's the one I'll go with. <laughs> cool. But yeah, so Angeline Bouley's um, The Firekeeper's Daughter, um, which is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant book. Nice one. Thank you. We might have to get you to send us um, a little list so that we can put them in our recommendations at the end. Nice mm. one. Thank you. So what I will, was... yeah. Mm-hmm, nice one. What was your favorite book as a kid? Ooh. So this is going to be strange. It's going to be. I had a cruel question to ask a bookseller. I know. Well, it's because <laughs> it's not. It's not conventional. So I remember always having a set of ten um, old-fashioned traditional story books, and they were like Alice in Wonderland, um, Mark. Uh, Tom Sawyer, um, even Huck Finn, like all of those. I remembered all of them being, and even Water Babies. I think Water Babies was one of my favourite books as a kid. Weird. Um, Water Babies is a weird book. <laughs> Secret Garden, those kinds of things. Me too. I know. <laughs> Secret Garden, those kinds of stories were like my favourite books because they were. I had like a whole set of them, I remember, and I really loved them because it looked so beautiful. They were what I actually found. Um, and yeah, those were my favourite books as kids. And I think I still, yeah, as much as they are problematic, I still love them because they they were my favorite books as kids. Mm. 
I should read them to my to my little brother as well. Mm. I think I traumatized him. Oh, and there was a Hans Christian Andersen book that mm. I read to him that had like the proper Hans Christian Andersen stories that are wild and proper traumatic. But he was little and so he had nightmares. Oh yeah, that that'll do it. Anderson will do it every time. Um, what was your favorite toy as a kid? Okay, so this is going to be sad. Um, I had a teddy bear called Ajo because I was little and that's why I named him. I think my mom spelt it A-D-J-O. My cousin had the exact same toy called Jojo. I called mine mm-hmm. Ajo. He had a little coat and brown ears. He was really fluffy. He was the size of me because I had him like when I was very little. And then when I was 10, our house burned down and he went with it. <laughs> oh. It's the most traumatic thing to talk about. So don't ask me again. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> so maybe onto a maybe onto a happier question. I don't know actually. Where or what do you think of when you think of home? Um oh, that is a complicated question. Mm. Um mm. I think I think I'm here. I'm whenever I do think of home from very early on, I thought of Milton Keynes. It was the first place that I discovered everything mm. on my own. And I made friends here, I created a tribe, and because my family's here, my my immediate family, as in my partner and my daughter, so this is home. Uh, yeah, it isn't it isn't home in the in the larger sense. But it, it's kinda of sad for me to say that, but yeah, this is home. Nice. Hmm. Where in the world would you most like to go? Um I've always really wanted to go to Nepal and Tibet. And in fact, even more so, more specifically, Bhutan. Like that's been like a place I've always really wanted to visit purely because no one's really allowed to go there and you had to get invited. Um, <laughs> but I just loved the, mm. the concept of that area and Himalayas. I've always wanted to go there. Mm, gorgeous. What's your favorite act of self-care? Um, reading in the bath. Mm. I think literally, and I, I do it automatically without thinking. I'll run the bath. And then I think everyone kind of knows in the house. Oh, okay. Because I might have had, like, literally had been clean myself earlier in the day. But just <laughs> suddenly she's running the bath again. Well, oh, okay. She's probably needs to. So, yeah. Yeah. The bath and, and the book in the bath. different from, from cleaning, isn't it? I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yes. It's pretty different from cleaning. Um, what value is most important to you? Um, let me think. A sense of community, I think, mm. is my favorite value of wanting to be part of one or wanting to give to one. I think it's community, really. That's kind of, it's a really weird one to say because no, I don't think it's nice. really. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's, it's, more of a, it's more of a team player type of thing. Mm. Cool. What one thing do you wish white people would do? Um, let themselves be uncomfortable, I guess. Um, mm. be happy enough. well not happy you can't be happy uncomfortable but realize that uncomfortable is a space you have to embrace for a little while mm. um, I think that's about it thank you what one thing would you most like to do in the next year <laughs> start a podcast mm. um, <laughs> I'm, I also want to start a, a website a directory of um, to help self-published um BIPOC authors um, to connect with the community to find all the different places they need in order to publish their books, all the different programs that are out there, all the different prizes they could enter, 
because if you're not in the industry, you have no idea where to go for the information. And I just happen to know some of that stuff. And I would like to mm. create an index of that online, accessible to all, especially for Global South people. And then, yeah, my podcast, which will hopefully be about books. Yay, look forward to it. So, yeah, cannot wait. That's what I... Cool, thank you. <laughs> How do other people see you? <laughs> um, okay, so I think Dion talks a lot and I'm generous. Um, I think people see me as generous. Hmm. I don't believe them, but I get told that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How would your friends describe you? Um, I think that I'm just, yeah, I think I'm just, I'm loyal. They know they can talk to me at any time of the day, at any point, and don't have to have any preamble, just kind of go straight into what they want to talk about. <laughs> um... <laughs> And they don't need to check in on me. I'm quite happy for that to not be a thing. We just chat cool. as and when. Hmm. And finally, what are you proudest of? Um, my daughter. I think it's ridiculous mm. that I created that. I don't really want to take credit. I just think it's weird. I still feel like I babysit her, that someone else will come <laughs> take her away in a bit. But she's 14 now, so I think I must have some responsibility there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. I'm sure you're a beautiful mama. Hmm. um thank you so much um i love that we've got a sense of a bit more who you are now um and also i cannot wait for your podcast because as we we were talking before we hit record i am an an ex-bookseller as lots of people listen to the podcast will know i definitely have opinions about publishing and race and market like the marketing all of that stuff um, so yeah very excited to listen so we'd love to hear from you uh, about an episode of loving color uh, and one that spoke to you particularly and kind of hear what your responses were to it and why it kind of white hit home it's, it's going to be seem really trivial that it was the hair episode because i enjoyed so much of the others i mean there were like snippets and bits of the others that i was just like oh my god um it's the hair episode, but there, I mean, there was literally uh, the colonial history episode that I was like, um, but yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, that the episode I liked, the reason I, I, I was interested in it is um, Tanaka's experience of it. Tanaka's experience from within the community of how he as a child was treated hmm. and his experience. And that to me, it's so I could so relate to um personally mm. and um and then also because it's just so fraught with lots of different dynamics it's a it's a conversation that could have so many different angles of it um and and I just think people don't really realize why hair matters um so much in fact it made it, I found it really funny watching a fleabag when there was an episode when they were talking about hair and fleabag says to the black hairdresser hair really matters <laughs> and I was just like where are they gonna go with this and then they didn't really go where I thought they needed to go because I was like this should be this shouldn't be coming out of your mouth this should be coming this I mean literally if a brown person was saying this it'd be a whole different concept to hair matters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but yeah I just it just really was stuck close to home that one great and so yeah it was a sorry go ahead I was just gonna say thank you for that because yeah that was that was a even though it seems like a lot less of a weighty subject than colonial history 
um yeah it was also for me a slightly scary one to to record um because i felt slightly like oh um am i gonna get in trouble for talking about this thing which is kind of inside a community of color um which is not okay there's always a little bit of a who's going to listen to this where is it going to go how is it going to be taken uh kind of fear yeah. there and there's going to be lots of ways for it to be taken wrong and that's the point i think that that's the fraught nature of mm. especially mixed race here yeah um because you, you almost feel like you don't have a place to be talking about it mm. because you can do so much more with you and i suppose it and even within families because obviously being mixed race you can have siblings that have different hair from you and have totally different experiences from you and it's very loaded um and it's it's weird that it's loaded for both men and women mm -hmm. it's not something that is perceived as a woman thing but it definitely isn't especially for people of color i think yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think because yeah yeah definitely it is it is definitely loaded um and I don't know if you guys want to cut this out later, but there's, there's the story I want to tell is specific, but then I have another story that's personal. So I don't know if you want me to like talk about that now. Sure. Go if, for it. Yeah, go for it. My personal story that relates to Tanaka is <laughs> the fact that my hair is really curly, but it can be straight. It blow dried straight. Mm. And growing up, that's all that was expected of me, that I have my hair straight. Mm. Like, why have you not done your hair? Like you haven't had your hair done. Like your hair's not done. Mm. And your hair's only done when it's mm. straight. And when you live in a... And in a, a, a humid climate like Zimbabwe, <laughs> the rain is always really something you've got to be aware of, especially mm. if your hair is straight. And so, yeah. and even at school, you'd have friends that were of color that would say, oh, you know, you need to, you haven't done your hair today properly, Dion. And, and I am just very much, a, I just want to leave my hair and not have to bother about it. I'm really lucky to have good hair and really curly hair. People have always commented on it, but I don't like spending any time on it, which is why if anyone was to see me now, I've got gray in my hair because I just mm. want to see what it does. It annoys everyone because they were like, oh, that, you know, it shouldn't look like that. I'm like, I just want to see what it does. I'm so excited um, for that. I'm so excited. I like I, I was I slightly yeah. mourned when I first got my first grey. Um, and then I got over that very quickly because I was in a house full of people in their 40s. Mm. And I went, <laughs> I went like, excuse me, you yeah. have no right. I literally <laughs> I went to I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll this is not a call out, but I'll name her. <laughs> um, it was. Dr. Dr. Nina Burrows, who's oh, the friend yeah. who introduced Imogen and I. Yeah. And I went to the mirror. We were doing it. We were doing a, a kind of a, a show, an event. Um, so we were all staying in the same Airbnb. Went to the mirror, saw this, my first gray hair, like my very, very first gray hair. And I went downstairs and said to, to her, I've just got my first gray hair. And like my friends who are in their 20s would have been like, oh, my God, Tanaka. <laughs> Such a big deal, <laughs> such a landmark. She looks up from her cereal and she just goes, fuck off, and then goes back to the cereal. And I was just like, <laughs> ow. But yeah, no, thank you. It's fine. <laughs> if I'd have been there, I'd have been with her. Like, I'm gray and proud. <laughs> and I think I think that's the thing. It's like, it's not even just gray. It's the fact, so I resent having hair. It sounds ridiculous. Um, mm. When you were saying, imagine how Gwynai's hair, your husband Gwynai's hair is shaved. I'm like, yeah, I totally understand. If I could do that, mm. I could get away with it. Um, simply because so much mm. of my identity, because I have good hair, I'm just a person who doesn't care about my looks as much. And so I'm always expected mm. to look after it really well by my mm. family. So every time mm. I get to a family gathering, it's always, 
and I'm quite fine amongst my other friends and everyone I know. But if I'm in a family gathering, I have to have my hair done in a certain way. Even if it's curled, it has to be perfect curled. I have to have, be having a very good hair curly day. Um, but be you can only do on like once a week anyway. <laughs> I know. Max. It'll be commented as soon as I walk through the door of how my hair looks. And mm. and yeah, even if it's straight, it's again commented on. And it's it's just almost like the only important thing about me. Um, mm. And and so I resent it. And so I tend to not take care of it. And But again, that's just a personal preference. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I'll wash and go and I'm fine. But when mm. I was younger, I'd have to straighten mm. it because that's what everyone expected. And it ruins your hair to straighten your mm. hair all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember saying to my mum, oh, I found these amazing things called hair straighteners here in England. And she's like, what? So you're ironing your hair? Because like, we'd sit there with a blow dry for ages with a brush and a mm. blow dry and trying mm. to straighten your hair. And when straighteners came out, she was like, that's really bad. And I was like, after a couple of years, I realised, yeah, that is, you're burning mm-hmm. your hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's, it, it is just one of those things. And I remember even as a kid, like when Tanaka was talking about sitting on that chair in the barbershop. And as a kid, you weren't allowed to have access to hair dryers or anything like that. And you were put in front of your aunt after you'd washed your hair. And your hair would dry really quickly because it did in the climate. And someone would sit there with a brush and brush your hair out. I mean, these are mm-hmm. curls. You definitely need to have a wet... You need to be wet and with a comb. <laughs> but no, yes. they would use a brush and brush your hair and just pull. And it would just be mm. excruciating. You'd be in tears the whole time. But it was... And I remember getting knocked in the head with a brush sometimes. <laughs> if you, mm. like, complain mm. too much. But it was an expected thing that your aunt did to you. It was just... Mm. It's a normal part of being a mixed-race girl or a coloured girl in Zimbabwe. Mm. And it was just expected that as a kid, that's what you put up with. Until you learned when you got older. If they put product in my hair... If they'd, you know, if they just used a comb, if they'd just been gentler. Mm. Um, Kept it wet. So, or, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's like, but it was almost like a rite of passage that you had to have it done this way, mm-hmm, even though they mm-hmm. didn't do that to themselves, but it was just, yeah. So, yeah, as you can tell, mm. <laughs> the hair episode, mm. it was very familiar. Um, and it is said in a jokey way. I mean, I know I'm, I'm laughing about it, but it is just, it's one of those things that grates at you, but at the same time, it's it's such an identifier it's such a it's such a race identifier especially in our community and it's more so within our communities than from the outside that if someone from outside the communities like a white person said to me oh you know your hair's really nice or whatever you know you'd you'd go oh yeah that thank you that's fine but all the trauma comes from within the community (laughs) yeah and and praise from there is more important yes yeah yeah, like it's definitely more nerve wracking. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah, like it feels high stakes. Yeah. When when black people comment on my hair in a way that it it's different when when white people like I yeah I can take it more easily. And it, it's almost like sure. you appreciate the you know like you appreciate the praise like mm. oh thank you yeah that's really nice. Mm. But you know that there's always if someone says your hair's nice in in the colored community they're saying that and then there's almost like a but or there's something else they're about yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. And they would, and in fact, we talk about touching hair. They will literally touch your hair mm. and go, "Oh, your hair's looking nice, Dion." And they're like, "They really get in there." And he was like, "I'm not a toddler anymore. You can't just. I'm an adult now. You can't just. What? What is this?" <laughs> um, but yeah, so so, this, so it it has lots of connotations here, yeah, definitely. Mm. It's a... So you said you've that's a personal story. You said you've also got a specific story that that you could would would like to share around the same subject what what was that about yeah so I was actually talking to my friend about this after I'd spoken to you Imogen mm. um so so my friend is is white Hungarian and her, she's had a son with the Zimbabwean man and uh 
and he's he's, he's really fair skinned and he's three years old now he's got blue eyes he's got her blue eyes and then he's got these amazing hair like this amazing coily hair mm. um and he's had it from when he was born he was born with a shock of hair <laughs> and and because he's just so um unusual looking because of it and unfortunately that's the word i'm going to use unusual looking which is definitely layered in in racist connotations mm. um he just becomes a bit of an exoticized baby really mm. i mean we love him and we take care of him but there's a little bit of and then so for instance the story is that he his hair was growing and it was and she obviously he's a baby as he's getting older he's eating and he's like putting his hands in his hair while he's eating and then he's just mashing food into his hair and <laughs> she's having to wash his hair and clean his hair in a way that mm. she's not used to and he's got this fro now he's got an afro um and it's a gorgeous afro but her she's a single mother now because she's not with her, her ex and she's having to look after this child's hair and so when her ex does come around every now and again it's like yeah i'll take him to the barber and he like sh almost shaves his hair well not shaved mm -hmm, but cut mm -hmm. it really really short and i just like i was like oh my god you shouldn't have let him do that mm. and i had a whole go at her about it well not really a go but like a go that she's used to me having a go at her <laughs> and it was it was kind of a oh, you know, you shouldn't have let him do that. He's here so amazing. You don't, it takes so long for your hair to get like that and all that kind of conversation. Mm. And part of me's thinking, oh, you know, this is a white mom who hasn't been able to know how to look after her, her son's hair. And I'm like, no, actually, Dion, you're not having to deal with the day-to-day -day of her looking after her son's hair. Her dad is mixed-race Zimbabwean and he's the same as me in that, well, he, he's been growing up with the idea that your hair needs to be neat and short. Like, that's like... Mm -hmm something that, that a lot of, of, of black men are told to do. And so that's what he's like, just done. Oh yeah, you need to cut your hair. Um, and, and so they can make that decision. That's totally their decision to make. It isn't your place to say, and I've, I've done to her exactly what gets done to me by my mm. family. When they're talking about my hair, like everyone else has an ownership of my hair because I have good hair. So again, I've done the same thing to her. And it's like, it took a, it took a while for me to realize that because I was like, Oh, you shouldn't have let him do that. And and she's just really sweet. So she's like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know. But, you know, it is really hard sometimes to look after his hair. And she just took it on the chin. She wouldn't mind. But but I remember thinking that that was something I put on her saying, and I'm forever sending her videos of children with, with hair like his and saying, oh, look how amazing. And this is all the products they use. I have no idea how to look after his hair, by the way, because I don't have coily hair. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I can't even give advice. But I'm like sending her links and stuff. And she hasn't asked me for any of this advice, by the way. Um, and so it's just... It's one of those really loaded things where I've now sort of pushed my own ideas of mm. who's here. And and also, like, once he's old enough, he'll be able to, like Tanaka, have an idea of what he wants with his hair. And I remember thinking, I even made a listen to the hair episode. I said, listen to this episode and listen to Tanaka's experience. And maybe that's what needs to happen. Like, right now, of course, he's a little baby. You've got to be able to look after mm. him. But when he's old enough, definitely, you know, let him have a little bit of agency over it. But again, you know, it's... Again, what who am I to have said that to her, um, mm. and how and why is that something that I think is my place to, to instruct someone simply because I'm of mixed race and so I feel like I'm closer and be able to explain to her. So so I did like the reverse. Or I'm your black friend. I'll tell you how to do this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so oh it's god, a really I can so see myself doing that. I could really see <laughs> myself falling into that trap. Like I haven't had. It's um... a, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been in that situation, but I could see it happening for sure. That's a danger I recognise in myself as well. Yeah. So I'm interested in what Imogen thinks about this. Because you were saying how, well, even Gwenyai can't really have an opinion on how you look after your, your children's hair. Because he doesn't even, you know, he just shaves his head. He's not going to really care about it. And so, like, 
this is the thing like you'll have so many conflicting people telling you stuff if we have problems imagine mm. you as a white mom how many different people mm. are going to tell you how to look after well your i was thinking here? actually maybe she's quite grateful to have your insight and to have your experience like i feel like if that were me and someone like tanaka or you like were saying to me okay you can do this and like you say sending links and like recommending products and recommending you know what you're just saying like when it's wet, brush it with a comb and some products in it rather than dry. Like, cause when I was a kid, we used to wash our hair once a week on a Sunday evening and then in the bath and then we'd sit in front of the fire. We had a wood burning stove and we'd sit in front of the fire and our mum would brush our hair. And that was, it's actually like, yeah. yes, there were the knots and there was like the tugging, but generally it's quite a nice memory. So probably without much yeah. influence and without much, rec- you know, um, advice, I might end up, attempting to do the same kind of thing and like you know I have black friends and I therefore like I have a little bit of an idea about what you might do about hair and I know like about the different kind of you know um the numbering like the the kind of um classification of hair and stuff so Mm -hmm. I'm only just learning those things (laughs) well like I I I mean I same I didn't have that until like two or three years ago I was like oh I'm like a three so like I know those things yeah. are out there so, but I feel like I'd be very grateful for the advice and the input but then yeah of course maybe there's an extent where it's like look it's my kid and I and I want them to you know like I either I want to make decisions or like with input definitely or and also like I re- <laughs> I recognize the thing you're saying about everyone having an opinion and I know that um Gwynyai talks about and no like, one is definitely right like, yeah well he he talks about <laughs> meeting his mum and the first thing she'll do is like touch his hair and put her hands in it and see how he is by like how is your hair like because that kind of represents the way that she um expects mm-hmm. his self-care to yeah. be like if his hair's doing well then he's doing well whereas he like you know he, he doesn't care that much wow. I think so and I anticipate you know quite a lot of input and I wonder like will it be something that I could graciously receive? Or yeah, will there be times when it's like, oh, will it be a lot? I don't know. And you know, all this stuff is theoretical. We don't even have a kid. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, but it's definitely something that I have in my mind, of course. And yeah, mm. I feel like I, I'd be happy to learn from people who who know. Dion, I might be mm. coming to you for some tips. <laughs> I think it's such a difficult um, thing because like we say, it's not just about the hair. It's about, um, like, I feel like we, particularly for mixed race and multiracial people, we use hair as a measuring stick for other mm, things. Like, mm. how how much are you in this community or how much are you out of it? How much of a... Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. How much are you representing us well? That's the other big thing is that I've noticed is that I very much, I, like, I used to do bits and pieces where I would be on TV um, and the one thing I always always stressed over going on on TV was if black people watch this and my hair is not okay um, and if it doesn't if it doesn't look perfect um, which you know in my context is like very defined curls that look very healthy yeah. and moist and all of those things just like you're um, looking now, basically. Well, yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, today is washed day. <laughs> it's, um, it's perfect. This is the one day a week it looks like this. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
because I had a thing this morning mm. or this, earlier this afternoon and I knew there might be black people mm. on the call uh, and it was a very white context. Interesting. And I was like, I need to represent us in a very professional way that is still not compromising the heritage. Mm. So all of these things are kind of present. And I like, I literally plan bits of my life around around the presentability mm. of my hair. Um, and especially I think um, as a man, there's a, there's a kind of feeling of, if you're gonna have long hair, it needs to be perfect. Mm. Um, yeah. Otherwise don't, otherwise why is it not, not kept short and neat? Um, so it's, I guess it's, I wonder if there's an interesting way of approaching this this thing of hair with with kids and kind of asking ourselves, okay, what if hair is a language? Um, and if it's a language, what are we saying with it? What are we getting our kids to say about themselves to the wider world? And what are we saying to them through how we t deal with their hair, right? Like, are we saying your hair and therefore your identity is public property that anyone can stick a hand into and do what they want with are we saying it's something that needs to be comfortable and joyful for you like i th i wonder if that's a way of thinking about it which might be useful or, or helpful for parents mm, yeah and i think i think that's important and and then to know why you're doing a thing and it might just be especially mm. if you're a white mom and you have your child is long curly hair and you're keeping it that way it's like it's almost like you saying i want my child to have this hair um mm, and i yeah. want him to look a certain way um i mean remember i remember early on i was talking about hey, imagine him with dreadlocks he'd look amazing with dreadlocks and, and my friend was mm. like oh no because <laughs> my brother and i were just obsessed with this child's hair and when i look at it now it just must have been like we felt ownership of this child and he wasn't ours i mean of mm. course we were part of her community but we did exactly that thing of, oh, we met, and it's like, maybe like, like it was a play thing or like, you know, and it's, again, I'm sure she took it, definitely she took it as, oh, you know, they're just interested in my kid and, you know, everyone's loving it. But when I think about it and I think, actually, no, maybe some of that wasn't appropriate. Mm. <laughs> well, mm. I would say I've, I've like, gosh, and here's an, here's another thing, like, I really don't want to own and admit to, but it feels like it's so relevant that um so my best friend who is someone that I've I've referred to I'm sure a few times on this is a black woman and she's also Zimbabwean and Jamaican she's a very close family friend of Gwynyai's and she's how I met my husband and um years and years ago before I like I I've like now I would never say this stuff but there was a time when I was like and she she's always had her hair in like a twist so with some short extensions which just kind of sit around the bottom of her face so it's not long but it's a little bit of um, an extension and she was at one point talking about oh if I she, she had to take it out and then go and um, have it put in again and she was like oh it's such a hassle and I was like well why don't you just shave it if I were you I would definitely shave it and then bleach it because I think that looks really cool so I was basically like if I were black this is how I'd wear my hair and then I also was like <laughs> or maybe I'd have an afro like I definitely have an afro and then and she was like oh you know, it takes a lot of work. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I was literally like, 
kind of a kind of telling her what I thought she should do as a woman as a white woman saying that to a black woman and also being like this is what I like fetishizing and kind of fantasizing about what I would do if I had this hair without any Mm. of the knowledge that accompanies that now I have long straight hair and I mostly wear it in a ponytail because it takes me four seconds to put it up in a ponytail in the morning and these days post pandemic I have to admit I wash it roughly once every two weeks I do not put time into my but there I was being like yeah I would have an afro you know like it's bullshit I wouldn't I would not like put the time and the effort into it but there was me like making this assumption and also kind of attempting to have this ownership over like this style which I know nothing about and also at the time I had no awareness of like the political history of the style either Mm. it was literally just like wow that looks cool there was something about taking up space you know I'd love to take up that much space and again like now you know Dion um so Gwenyai will tell me about um in Zim growing up in school like you know you you couldn't wear your hair beyond like an inch right because people would be like oh it's you know it's 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 like too political blah blah people couldn't grow their hair like that like I had no idea of all of that kind of association with it so um yeah Yeah. like I I but I definitely recognize that kind of attempt to have an ownership over something which was absolutely in no way part of my identity Mm. yeah and then it's it's that added layer of school determining your identity. And when teenagers want to, at the most, that's the time they really mm. want to experiment with their hair. They finally have out the out of their parents' control for it, and then they suddenly have to change their hair for school. Um, and certain children have to do it more so than others. Basically, black and brown children have to do it more so than others. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's even yeah, it's it's just it's 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 a time when they then are like i'm and and even the self care you see a teenager do with their hair it's always more so than they would normally have done as a as a young i mean i know i did as a younger kid like i noticed this with my daughter she spends ages in the, you know doing her hair brushing it out and and again it's it's almost like it's her own kind of self care like coming mm. to terms with what's on her head and how she wants it and and it's 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 finally you're not got your parents control mm. of it i think it's one of those things that cuz you've sat there for ages with someone else doing your hair and now you just want to have control. And then school then says, mm. no, 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 you got to wait till you leave school before you can do any of this. Um, mm. Especially, well, every school, really. I mean, you talked about hair love um, on the on the podcast with Matthew Cherry, and he was part of that that initiative to try and get people to, to have, like, um, I can't remember what it was called, but basically it was, it was like a, a bill to allow children to be able to wear their hair the mm. way they wanted to at, at secondary school. And that was in the mm. States, and we know that's the case here in the UK as well. Um, yeah, and then of course, us growing up in British colonial schools in Zimbabwe, it was the same there. So it didn't matter where you were in the world; <laughs> you have the same restriction on you if you were in a mainstream school. And um, yeah, I think I think you were right earlier about saying that it's it's like, what are you trying to say about hair? Is it your identifier? Um, and and then and then it changes because your hair changes as you get older. Like even when it goes grey, you decide, but you obviously are always so identified by it. But I think it was just really sad earlier when Tanaka said that he spends more time doing his hair because he knows he's, especially if he's in black spaces. And I think that's mm. interesting because um, I know that's definitely the case with me. Like, I don't bother as much until I know I'm meeting with someone that's in my mm. family <laughs> or even if my other half's family. <laughs> um, um, I'm, I'm, my, my boyfriend's Indian. Um, and so I have that same feeling when I'm with his family. And it's weird because my hair can be straightened. Sometimes part of me wants to have my hair straight when I'm around my his Indian family mm. to be able to be mm. accepted in a way. So I kind of dial down my Africanness, which mm. is weird. 
and no one's ever expected oh. that of me, but it's something I've expected of myself. <laughs> Same. Like, so my mother's family are Sri Lankan, and the yeah. first, I think the first couple of times I ever straightened my hair were in Sri Lanka because I felt really, really self like really conscious that I was the only one in the family with this curly mm. hair and so it was definitely yeah. a bit of kind of like I would just like to blend in a little more um yeah and like I I very occasionally straighten my hair like maybe three times a year if mm-hmm. that because uh, it's because yeah. it's such a production and it's, it's so hard to maintain thing, yeah. and like it's just a whole thing yeah it's it's a it's an interesting thing but it's I know um my brother, it's a massive rebellion. My, my father's always... My, the biggest conversation they would have with each other is about his hair and the fact that he needs to cut it. So my brother now, as an autonomous adult, has massive hair. He has a big afro. It's huge. <laughs> and and his hair is, like, out <laughs> and proud. And it's because mm. he's always had that battle. My father always wanted to take him to the barber to cut his hair. And it's... it's Yeah, it, it is definitely an identifier that makes you want to, at different times in your life, make a statement or not make a statement. Mm. Um, uh, and I think it's not, I mean, like we're talking a bit about race, but I think it's definitely something that um, can be lots of crossover with, with white people. Because I remembered watching a Nicole Kidman interview that she had with um, Graham Norton. And her hair is quite straight now. And she, they had a picture of her back in the 80s when her hair was really curly. And she was like, mm. my hair can't do those curls anymore. And she basically made a statement to all girls with curly hair. She says, if you keep straightening your hair, you will lose your curls. So don't do that. They mm-hmm. won't bounce back. <laughs> and uh, and so, I mean, that is something that definitely is a crossover. Like you, you find that with a lot of, of white people with curly hair, that there is a sort of crossover with curly, with any race, of, with the same sort of mm. 3B, 3A sort of hair. And you just like, you're different races, but you have similarities in that. So some yes. of it can be really inclusive in its conversation. It doesn't have to be, oh, that's black hair. And this mm. is white hair. Because mm-hmm. even black hair, so many myriads of, and within mixed race families, you can have five children and each mm, one of them would have totally mm. different hair from each other. Um, mm. And hair day is like a whole production because they all have so, diff- <laughs> so many different needs. So, oh my God, can you imagine? A... That... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that does sound like that's a full on... Planning hair day if you had five mixed children is like... That would be like planning a military campaign. <laughs> <laughs> like hats off. But it definitely needs to be something that's just not one person, isn't it? That's definitely a two-person job, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, at least. And it, yeah, that's the thing as well, is it? it's it's kind of communal support for how how everyone's body is slightly different is is the thing that's needed yeah. there. Yeah. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about um, something that you would like to hear us chat about on the podcast in the future. What might be what, what might be exciting? What might be interesting? What are we missing? So it's a big one, and I'm sure you've already thought about it because <laughs> it'll have many layers. It's it's education, racism mm, in education, mm. uh, and I'm sure. And I mean, I feel like I feel like I'm dem- I feel really weird saying it to you because I feel like I'm demanding it of you, and I know it's a really big topic. <laughs> good, it's good. Um, yeah, racism in because so racism in ed- in education would would encompass education here in the UK. Um, mm. how it's lacking how for instance it'll t- teach the industrial revolution but not ex- explain how it led to that yeah. or what was going on to empower the industrial revolution um, mm. it'll you know and so any period you talk about it never shows you like but what's enabling that period like literally you've raised all the black and brown mm. people even in your teaching and yet they were involved but you're not going to talk about that <laughs> um, so I've been going to lots of panels about stuff about about British education, about British history, and the idea that it's not 
it's not black British history. It's just British history, but it's labelled as black because it's it's what's hidden. Um, and that the problem, especially in the publishing world at the moment, is that they don't want to produce black British books because they feel that they're not, um, they won't be in a, a global audience demand for it because mm-hmm, it's British. Mm-hmm. And so even like their books that they yes. involve about, whenever they talk about Rosa Parks or their books will have like mixed of people to look out for or people to like to celebrate, they'll all be um, either Mandela or all the all the African American people. And yeah. And that is because they say that, oh, you know, people wouldn't wouldn't get buy into it. And I think, well, that is obviously rubbish because we literally grew up on a British system in, in both all colonial countries grew up. on. We still are um, being taught colonial um, history like we are, we never learn our local histories. We know nothing about them. And so if a British person said you're going to learn this part of British history, we would definitely um, it'll definitely translate to all these countries that are already doing it because we still do GCSEs and A-levels in in Zimbabwe it's not like it's changed mm. at all like colonialism is left but it's still mm. pretty much there so so that's like a, a real cop-out to say oh we're not gonna be anything specifically British because it wouldn't be a global appeal um mm. and then and then there's but then, then that obviously the conversation then leads to education outside of the UK which is just as racist even in black countries because we still see British mm. education mm. as the good education so you haven't got these yeah. countries jigging. I mean, you'd think India, who is so good at education, would re totally jig their education and design their own. They have hundreds and thousands of years of innovation. They could do it their own way. And I suppose they adapt it. But even in Zimbabwe, we just, it's still very much a British education. We don't even, and you can only choose at an A-level standard to do any Zimbabwean history. It's still mm. all very much whatever's being taught mm. in the schools here. Um, I mean, my daughter comes home and tells me about her education and her education exactly mirrors mine. And that's mm. ridiculous. I went to school on a different part of a totally different continent. It shouldn't be exactly the same, but only 20 <laughs> years later, but 30 years later, but, you know, in a different country. Um, so, mm. yes, yeah, so education would be, I think you guys would have stories. Mm, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love, I would love to do uh, something on education because I think it's so... Well, I'm not going to do the episode that we what we mm-hmm. might do now, but I think there's a really yeah. important point about the extra work that um, people of color and people from, particularly from um, families that lived under colonialism have to do in order to know their history. Because yeah. you know, if your if your family history is white British, you will be taught it in schools. You will be taught stuff that your ancestors went through in yeah. school. Um, yeah but for if you're not then it's homework Mm. um it's extra work literally that you have to do and like some people wind up doing it some people don't wind up doing it some people wind up doing it you know much later in life and then only black Um, people are doing it so white people are not doing it mm. so it's doing it a service is that idea of if you offer um black history books to schools that are for instance in devon or up north where there are no black children in the school they see it as well no we don't have any black children so we Mm. don't teach this and it's like still part Mm. of British history like you more than anyone in fact everyone needs to know this history it's not just black children and so it just gets put on as like a as like a a little sort of Mm. extra um and not anything Mm. that's important it's not given any weight um and again Mm. I I blame partly the publishing industry because it's it's very much um predicated on the curriculum 
and how the curriculum goes mm. and what the curriculum says and who decides the curriculum. And so it won't produce the books unless it knows there's, a, there's an audience for it. And even if you can show the audience, they were like, yeah, but do they read though? <laughs> anyway, that's a different conversation. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> it sounded like you had more um, ideas, not just education. Is there something else you'd like us to cover? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think because it does also link to your colonial history episode. Um, it's, I mean, Pan-African schools, all that kind of stuff would definitely be, mm. I mean, it would definitely be sections <laughs> of it that I think you guys could break into yeah. different episodes because there's so much to have to dig into there. Um, and just, and also the fact that, that it's so, it's, it's, the, it's the emperor's new clothes is what the British system is really, isn't it? Everyone thinks it's the pinnacle. And then you have colonial mm. children being taught in private schools in the, in, in, in the colonies and then they come to the UK to education and it seems so completely alien to what they were used to because they got a higher standard or it isn't, I don't know. And maybe it's, well, of course they were private schools, so they were, they were taught differently, but the standards seem to be of a difference. And then you come to the mother, to the motherland and mm. then it's totally not done in the same way, or there's so many problems in it that yes. you think, okay, so we still have to do extra education at home. I mean, I have friends whose kids go to private school in the UK and they still have tutors mm. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's levels there of extra work, um, and then of course that leads up to the idea of why are certain certain demographics of children doing better is because these parents are doing extra, and the reason they're doing extra again is because of where they came from, and there's loads of layers to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which people really aren't. Yeah, I think that's a to use internet speak that you people are really not ready for that conversation. Yeah. Um, like my. My mother yeah. used to tell people that she, when she sort of used to get kind of right racist remarks about like, why did you, why did you come to this country for education? Um, if, you know, and kind of like, why, like, why are you here kind of thing? Uh, and her response to those people was always, well, I had to come to university in, in the UK because I wasn't clever enough to get into a Sri Lankan university. <laughs> um which which was like that was true like she, would she true. you know got accepted mm-hmm. here and not um but people really didn't like no. that as a as an answer <laughs> and what it the idea that some back of beyond the country ex-colony might have higher standards than uh yeah than a british university was just not yeah had hadn't exactly. occurred mm. to them i should i mean i should we'll get in trouble for saying that she's not bright <laughs> <laughs> like one of literally one of the brightest people i've ever encountered in my life she's your mama Uh, (laughs) we have to give her some credit (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. there's there's just layers to it but yeah i think that was the main one i was like yeah education and racism in education but it is such a it's so loaded because that's pretty much what your podcast is doing and it's also where it's the reason why publishing turns to younger books to be able to educate on new topics Mm. or even if you look at young adult books young adult books are breaking boundaries all over the place because people think if we can get them young at their malleable minds it's easier to get in concepts that adults are not wanting to embrace at all so it just has a lot of responsibility when it comes to racism and Mm. there's just the idea of decolonizing instead of actually totally remaking something is is another Mm. conversation as well oh god yeah that's its own episode isn't it because yeah yeah I have a whole thing exactly. with the term decolonizing and and what it winds up meaning in practice. Yeah, which is very much a band aid thing. Um, 
but yes. yeah it's there's, there's there's lots of people doing the work which is great to see but it's it's frustrating um I mean, you guys are in that world. You guys know all the stuff that goes on with publishing. It's very intertwined, mm. but it's uh, mm. it's there's so many good people doing good work in the UK, um, and I think that's the main way to like to highlight it is like what actually the work is being done. Look who's been doing it all this time, mm-hmm. but just doesn't get the kudos yeah. for it. It doesn't um, hit, reach the mainstream, right? Which is where it needs to go yeah. in order to actually have an impact, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. It's funny that because those Pan-African schools that um, Carla talks about in his book, yeah. um, Natives, they don't really exist anymore. And uh, I was on a podcast, I was on a, a talk the other day where um, apparently they were absorbed more into regular um, curriculum, into regular school. Regular school took on some of the work that Pan-African schools mm. were doing in the way that they were structured. And so it wasn't, it was, it wasn't really, and now what ends up happening is that children are using tutors for 11 plus classes for like doing to get into grammar school and that's kind of the new pan-african school mm. like someone mm-hmm, comes mm-hmm. into your home and teaches your child and so yeah it's all it, it's definitely when i remember reading that book and thinking oh my god akala went to the perfect saturday school like that was an amazing saturday school it sounded so amazing and i was like oh where can we find those yeah. <laughs> mm. um but yeah that seems to definitely be a need for something like I believe that. there are um, some actually because Gwenyai's done some research and I'm not sure whether they were in London or in Bristol because I'm not I can't remember whether he'd done the research before or after we moved but I believe that there are some it's that they do exist so um maybe we can do a bit of research and so that's and um and mm. and put yeah. some links for people mm. yeah cool definitely was there anything else you guys wanted to specifically talk about I think we're good, eh? Yeah, that was fantastic. I have a weird light across my face right now. I was just thinking how cool the (laughs) light looks across your face. It's very like... (laughs) Yeah. It's like the blinds. (laughs) To fill people in, um, Dion's got a blind and the stripes of the light and the shadow over her face and it looks really cool. There's a, um, I know you at the end of your podcast, you guys normally give like um, things to watch yes. or read. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've thought of, I've thought of two, <laughs> um, but I don't have proper links. So I'll have to like send them to you so you can put them yeah, in, the, that'd be fine. in the show notes. But there's, um, um, they usually, yes. So there's a, uh, uh, a family call on YouTube and they're called, uh, if you look up Maisley, M-A-Z-E-L-E-E, um, they're a Blasian family, so it's a black American lady and a, and I think he's Korean. Yeah, he's uh, American Korean. And they have a family of seven children. So when I was talking about hair day, there literally is a YouTube episode of them doing all seven children's wow. hair. And so they have, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating. Because you just think, and it's just so, and they both have to work at it. Like, because they both have yeah. to take, and I just love that. I love watching them because I love seeing how they care for their children and mm. how they care for their children's hair and they how they value their children's hair and their individuality because of it and i just mm. it's the most affirming video i've ever seen oh, <laughs> is watching them do their kids hair Great. it takes a long Thank time for the recommendation yeah we'll put it in i'm show gonna notes. watch that yeah i, mean, I want to go watch it now yeah that is a yeah. mission and a half <laughs> <laughs> i can barely deal with my one adult's <laughs> hair seven children and that's if you think about it so that's nine people that, in and, all and isn't it you, including yeah. the parents yeah exactly to do your hair but it also makes you think about um when you look at hair hair love the picture book hair love and when you look at even in the picture book um look up by um Dapa Adiola and um 
and Nathan Bryan, they, they, there's a scene where there's just a, a mum doing the little girl's hair. And so many people have said how much they love that one picture in the book because it's that time that you take. Because in order to do your child's hair, you have to be able to take a lot of your day out to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is an, it inherently takes, it's inherently time you're giving your child mm. um, uninterrupted. So there's yeah. a bit of bonding involved in that, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. And it's saying, I yeah. value you and I value spending time with you and I'm going to do my hair doing it. Um, do your hair with it. So yeah, so there's, there's two picture books again. There's Hair Love and um, Look Up. Um, but it's just, um, it's, there's, there's lots of children's picture books about hair because of that. It's come out recently mm. because it's such a thing that we're trying to get more children to understand how their hair is amazing. Um, and, and yeah, there's, that's definitely a couple of books. Um, and, and also there's, um, another one, which is to do with education, which you might maybe put in the show notes when you do do your education one. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was it? I think I think it is. I think it's a Carla's book. A Carla's book, Native. Oh yeah. Mm. But then he talks about education outside, like because he's taught in Zimbabwe and he's taught in Jamaica and he's taught in different countries, so he sees different education systems, and and he's made those comparisons and seen how things work in some places better than in the Britain and and the reasons why, as well as having obviously gone to a Pan African school, never been to university, but he's writing amazing books and he's incredibly intelligent. Mm. Um. Again, it's that idea of tertiary education. What is it for? Who is it for? Where can mm. you get your education? Um, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a scam, really. I, the idea that the only way you have any smart is if you go to to university. Yeah. If you just mm. went to a library, like all of your life, you could you could just <laughs> lean it all yourself. Um, so yeah, so it's. I think it's just one of those things that we now have the internet. We have so much access, and we don't have to be limited to just the traditional bricks and mortar schools out there and I just think yeah. there's ways the positive mm. things to get from education and to get out of that racism side of it um so yeah so those would be a couple of definitely watch that Maisley YouTube video yeah <laughs> mm. thank you and thank you probably you won't so stop much. at one because it's always I just love the fact because they're a Blasian family so there's so much involved in their conversation about teaching their children mm. Korean and having to involve talking about being black and Asian in America and what that means mm-hmm. and what they're learning about each other and as a family. It's just, it's amazing watching them because they're just really amazing. <laughs> um, oh, that sounds yeah. like the most nourishing thing. Uh, and I'm, uh, yeah, is, definitely going to have a yeah. look. Great. Thank you so much for coming and giving yeah. us your time and sharing your stories and sharing all this wisdom and recommendations. It's really, it's really great to have you here. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for I, having me, guys. Um, yeah, I just want to say as well, this has been fantastic, and I have loved it. And I now have a new YouTube rabbit hole to jump down. <laughs> Addiction. I, yeah, yeah, productivity just went down the drain, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. Um, well, thank you to everyone who's listening as well. Uh, really appreciate everyone's time and attention and love. Yeah. Absolutely. And we look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Definitely. And I just want to, I want to say as well, thank you. Yeah. I just want to say thank you. Sorry to you guys for your podcast. I don't think I said it um, on the recording is that you guys are really good at, at your pauses and you give, are you allow time to listen? You allow time to, um, to absorb what's just been said before someone says the next thing. There's really good listening um, involved. And then, also, podcasts like podcasts like yours make people brave. So they make them. It gives people the vocabulary to be able to have these conversations because someone else is having them. 
and then you kind of go oh that's what i can do because so much of racism is like you're gaslighting mm. yourself you're not sure those mm. things occurred or if it was but if someone else is like telling you how it's, it's occurred and they they labeling it in a certain way it helps people have those conversations and especially because it's done with two friends it, it opens up the door to people to be able to do it as you say in your opening with each other away from any social media really just mm. with friends so mm. you guys are doing amazing things i hope it gets thank really you popular. for that reflection and one of the things <laughs> that i think specifically mm. about like yes we've been modeling that conversation and yes we're really good friends but one of the things i love about having guests like you here is that we're now going one step further and showing that because you know we know each other a little bit and you and Tanaka have never met so it's like yes these conversations can happen between really close friends but also like we can take that one step further and show that you know anyone can do this Mm. and and I really appreciate the fact that you've come here to model that and that you're willing to jump in when we don't have that kind of really intimate friendship and I think it's much harder to do it in that context so yeah that's something else I want to appreciate from you coming and sharing your stories Mm. with us thank you Thank you. So, yeah, I guess we'll catch you all next time. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This is Loving Colour, co-hosted by me, Tanaka Mishi. And co-hosted and produced by me, Imogen Butler-Cole. You can find me at TKTheTwit on Twitter. And me at ImogenIBC on Twitter and Instagram. And both of us at Loving Colour Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Our theme music is The Boatman from Quest Ensemble's 2020 album, The Other Side.